Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing, and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Ali and I are joined today by Clover Stroud. Clover is a journalist and author. Her first book, The Wild Other, was shortlisted for the Wainwright Prize. My Wild and Sleepless Nights, A Mother's Story, was a Sunday Times bestseller. And her latest, The Red of My Blood, A Death and Life Story, is out on March 10th. Clover regularly writes for The Times, The Telegraph, The Guardian, amongst many others, and is an immensely generous author who regularly gives up her time to promote new writers and to share their work. Clover's books, in one way or another, all centre around loss and grief, but mostly they are about love in its many forms. Clover, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for for um, inviting me on. It's lovely to see you both. It's lovely to be here and get, have the chance to talk about writing and creativity, which is one of my favourite favourite topics. <laughs> Obviously, uh, mine and Ali's favourite topics too. <laughs> we spend a lot of time doing it. Um, the Red of My Blood, um, it's... I, it's such an incredible book. Um, I've really personally resonated very much with all all three of your books. But I think this one um, this one is is so interesting. It's it's about your sister Nell and about her death and the year immediately after her death. Mm. And I guess the first thing I wanted to ask was, how did you know it was right to start writing? Was it instinctive? Could you? Uh, did you just have to do it? Um, because, you know, so often, and I think particularly, say, for instance, your first book, you waited a really long time to tell that story. Mm. And with this one, this is very immediate. Your sister died very recently. And I, mm. I just wondered, how did you know it was the right time to write it? Um, yeah, so Nell died in December 2019 very, uh, very rapidly. She had breast cancer, but she she um, died very, very suddenly. And it was a real huge, huge shock because she'd been given several more, you know, her prognosis was several more years to live. So I was, I was in a kind of state of shock and, uh, you know, really, really terrible grief and terrible pain. Um, and I had been working on something else, um, in the autumn of 2019 but the relevance of that just completely fell away basically and I started um, I was very aware that what I was going through uh, was um, very extreme you know my emotions and the physicality of it and the oddness of grief was was very very strange and I was very uh, kind of struck by how sensual it was as well and how I was incredibly aware of like bright colors and sounds mm. and the kind of displacement from normal life so I I you know I'm I'm, I'm someone who writes about um, you know I write about the way life feels and, and emotions and so I was I was aware that what I was going through wasn't and nor you know it wasn't like the day-to-day experience although it is actually the day-to-day experience because grief is happening to so many of us but um I I kind of knew a few months after she died it did take a few months I'd say it took until about March or April to start thinking yeah maybe I could I could write about this and it was partly because I desperately wanted something to read which would help me navigate the days that I was getting through and I I you know people always say like read, read Joan Didion and read C.S. Lewis which I did and I had actually read those before when my mother had died in 2013 but I couldn't really find something that would mm. show me what I was going through and and it was so kind of scary and bizarre and at times beautiful and extraordinary and I wanted to wanted to record that and so I had a sense that I think I could write a book about, I could write about 
grief I could write about this experience, it would be maybe it would help other people and it would help me to get through it. But it wasn't I didn't really start writing it until like late summer. Mm. So it was and then I and then I got going with it straight away and um and found the voice very quickly, uh, which is, I mean, my own very, very confessional voice that I write in. So it was, you know, it was fairly, um, it, it was quite, quite quick. But I also knew that I, that what I was going through was that first bit of, you know, the first year, I suppose, after somebody dies is, is very extreme. And, and the kind of strange sensuality that I was talking about, the strange mm-hmm. otherness wasn't going to go on forever so I wanted to I wanted to record it I felt like I was kind of you know in the in the trenches I suppose in the same way that with my world and sleepless nights I wrote about being a mother with a newborn when I had my baby was my fifth child was was pretty much he wasn't a newborn but he was very young because you you sort of forget don't you so I think that that recording in real time of of what we're going through of extreme experiences is what I love doing and kind of works for me yeah, I mean, it really comes across. And I think that's what I loved about reading it was that I had a a different experience when my mum died, but similar in the sense I felt it very on a very sensory level. Mm. I felt like when you wrote about how you felt like you had bees under your skin, mm. I felt that when mm. my mother died. I felt it was so strange. I had this feeling of I had never felt like I was humming with life more than yes. when she died. Yeah. And I was really surprised and shocked by that feeling because nobody had ever described it like that to me before. But it does feel like that. And it was interesting, actually, Ali and I went to see um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie uh, late last year talk about her experience with grief, which she wrote about last year when mm. her dad died. And she talks. She talked about the reason she wrote about it as well as being completely flawed by how physical grief is, yeah, the absolutely. physical sensations and how actually they that she hadn't she was just she was desperate she was searching everywhere for people who'd written about this Mm. physicality which had kind of um completely bowled her over and Mm. in an unexpected way and it's interesting isn't it like that as you write in the book that you know you saw colors you saw colors everywhere everything became Mm. became like really sort of sort of hyper real Mm. and um and that was I had a similar experience but yet other people experience grief as a as a blackness and a, and a kind of leeching of color um it's interesting isn't it that different experience and how we mm. sort of I guess almost um presume it's going to be black don't we mm. well I think it's an important point that actually as well because I did feel very very dark as well I mean I remember feeling as though I was I felt I was with my children and my husband and it was a few weeks after Nella died and normal life also you know it has to go on there was Christmas there was like kids going back to school pack lunches have to be made you have to work again you can't just like lie down and cry for the rest of your life although that's what you feel like you're going to do and I but I remember standing in the kitchen with the children and thinking I feel like I'm in a kind of see-through black cage and I'm going to always be in this I'm never going to get out of this and I'm going to be able to go through my life but there's always going to be a kind of darkness around me but through that darkness that darkness exists at the same time that there is this kind of strange bright kind of fracturing of light at the same time and I suppose I wanted to kind of um record and um uh kind of beautify in a way i suppose how mm. how extraordinary grief is and how it is also 
a blessing is not the right word, but it is a strange opportunity to see life in a different way and to feel life in a different way and to hold it in a different way. Mm. And we are scared of it because we're scared of the feelings. And we kind of, there is a narrative that says it is about a darkness, a shading, a kind of turning down of life. Actually, it's a turning, you know, it's, t- it's like you turn all the dials right up. And if if we can kind of recognize that in some way or another, I also think it is a, you know, it presents us with a possibility for some kind of evolution as human be- as individuals. You know, yeah. it's, an, it's an opportunity to change our lives in some way. And those kind of life-changing moments, I mean, they usually happen to us very slowly. We don't notice them happening. Whereas when somebody dies, it's like, this is the moment you know this is the absolute time um and I wanted to I really wanted to record that that kind of the colors that happen alongside the darkness and that in in essence is really what life is about as well isn't it you know it's like that the the darkness of life and the and the and the brightness of life exist at the same time almost all the time really yeah yeah and do you think if you hadn't had this um if you hadn't had this time lag or if you had rather had a time lag you're talking about writing something when you're very close to the experiences do you think you would have been able to capture them if you'd say been writing about it now and been looking back or do you think you needed that kind of visceral sensation to be able to translate that to the page I think that that immediacy is really, really important. I think that I would look back on it um, in the same way that you look back on the kind of post-birth period, for example. You know, you see it in a really different light later on. You don't see it in a different light, but you but you do forget things and you, you lose some of the immediacy. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of feeling of being in the trenches with an emotional experience, like being right up against it, for me is the way that I like to write and the way that I like to um, to communicate. And I really, for me, I really enjoy taking myself right into the sensation again, which does also mean taking yourself into a place of some pain and confusion. Mm. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but it means that you're never sort of looking back with just um, summarizing something or looking mm. back on something with like, Rosie, I know that, for example, babyhood, sometimes you can look back and think, oh, well, you know, it wasn't, it was, the baby was very sweet and we got through it and now the baby's like a toddler smashing the house up or whatever. But, um, and that was, so, so when I wrote My Wild and Sleepless Nights, I really wanted to record the, the, that, that absolute, those absolute moments as they were happening. And it was the same with Nell's death. I kind of felt like, I suppose in a way, in honouring her as well, was to almost be, it's almost... It's almost journalistic, like you're actually reporting on it as well. So absolutely, in answer to your question, like writing about it as it was happening was, um, I think it has contributed to the power of the writing and the kind of way that I can access the emotion and then and then put that, that emotion onto the page. Mm. There is an absolute immediacy in it. It does feel like you're sort of sitting right with you as you feel it. And it's so, I think so powerful because of that um there's so much to recognize I think anyone who has had 
a great loss in their life of any kind will mm. find themselves in here somewhere. Absolutely. And one of the things that I found so interesting, which it touches on something that you've written up about before, this idea of um, of being on the edge of life, um, of, of death and childbirth, both being things that you've written about that are on the edge of life. Um, and it's interesting. I just read Brene Brown's latest book where she, where she talks specifically about this edge and, um, and she talked about it in reference to our, our kind of a desire as humans to take the edge off all the time. Mm. And, and she was sort of describing how actually, you know, that's, um, it's that instinct to take the edge off. She said, we've got to resist it. The edge mm. is where everything lives. The edge is where life is mm-hmm. that really mm. sharp edge. Um, and it was just so interesting. I was reading both books at the same time that it does feel like that that's where your writing is. It's on the edge. Yes. And I find it um, kind of exciting, I suppose, creatively to take myself to that edge. And quite a lot of life is quite boring, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of boring <laughs> domestic work to do. There's a lot of boring driving people around and boring putting clothes away and all that kind of stuff. And um, to take myself... I suppose it almost feels like taking myself to a place of peril creatively and emotionally as well. And I think that many, many, many of us are feeling that in, as you know, we, we have, it may not necessarily be death, but we, many of us, even if we haven't lost somebody we love, have, have experienced losses and pain. And I think kind of um, being in that, I mean, I love that idea that you, because we talk, you know, people always say that as well. But say, for example, have a, have a drink, you know, go and have a glass of wine. It'll take the edge off things. But experiencing it all and feeling it all is being utterly human as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it makes life more interesting and it makes life more vivid. It makes mm-hmm. more life, life more live, you know, more alive. You're not blunting yourself. You're not mm-hmm. putting things into kind of soft focus or or out of focus and um kind of putting the 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 sort of magnifying glass over over our emotional lives is is what I'm interested in doing and conveying to people that those things that they are experiencing as well are not a mark of a life gone wrong you know Nell's death was terrible it was absolutely terrible and I feel deeply deeply unhappy and angry at times that she has been robbed I suppose of you know another four decades but then none of us that nothing is is certain in any way whatsoever and I suppose what I'm trying to do is to show that death is it is just part of life as well Mm -hmm. and the challenges and the and the darker times and the the bleaker times are just as valuable to go into and experience as the joy you know we'd always talk about like holding on to moments of joy and finding moments of joy that is important but also feeling the feeling the the difficult stuff is what makes us human I suppose Mm. um and feeling it as bravely as we possibly can yeah and I think as well in the book you mention a number of times connecting with other people who had experienced great loss and how important that was for you that year to sit with people who Mm. could just sit with their losses and Mm. were able to let you with your losses without Mm. trying to make it better Mm. and the comfort in being around others Mm. um and that's what I love about this book so much is this idea that you know it allows us it gives us a chance to sit with you 
in this experience in a way that actually is pretty rare in terms of what people allow us to be with them in their grief. You know, often people are very, very shut off in their grief and it is a huge comfort to others to be able to sit with with you in your grief. Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I was interested by after Nella died as well was like, how do I get through this? How do I survive this? How do I create a life that is meaningful and and energetic and beautiful and all the things that, you know, most of us want our lives to be and or aspire to our lives to be in some way or another. And I remember looking at other people who'd had losses of people they loved really close, you know, siblings or parents when they were younger or, um, I mean, you know, I talked to one lady who had lost her son as well. And how do you survive that? What were they doing? You know, how were they like creating lives that that looked meaningful? And I was um, and I was some people contacted me. There was a friend of mine who I just know via Instagram, actually. And he told me that two of his sisters had died from cancer. And I remember just and he he is always seems like a kind of great guy who is living an interesting life and I was so I was so grateful to him for saying I promise you it will get better I promise you you will survive this and I kind of wanted to study people and there's a scene that I write in the book where I went and I had lunch with some friends of mine who've had a lot of losses in their life these three siblings and they've had many different losses and I was just so I was so interested by by the way that they were living and where does the joy come from and how do they find it and how do they survive it so I suppose it was also like writing it was about trying to communicate some of that hopefully as a consolation you know to other people or kind of help a kind of reaching out of a hand creatively and saying this is how I did it this is how I got through this year this is what I kind of learned and maybe it might help, you know, it might be useful to you. It might help you. Maybe it won't, but I'm going to write it anyway. <laughs> and so, yeah, as I, you, oh. sorry, no, on your pen, sorry. As you were, so as you were talking about going into these perilous places, how did you deal with that against a very domestic backdrop, against being mummy to your children, all these things? How did you kind of, how did you make sure that you came back from them as well on a practical level? Well, it's a difficult thing to do that, actually, because there are times when you just want to go into your grief and go into your pain and you don't want to have to find the lunch boxes or listen to the reading, you know, and I've got five children, two of them are like one's 18, one's 21, but then I've got three quite young children as well who are like five, um, seven and nine now. So they were two years younger than that. So they were really, really quite young and needed me a lot. And they needed me to be a mum to them as well. Um, and in the first few weeks, I spent a lot of time with my dad and my stepmother. They came to stay with me a lot and they were really, really, really helpful in their kind of presence. Just to be around the table together. Sometimes they took the kids to school. Just to be together was really really helpful and it allows you to kind of be present to one another in your pain but also to kind of share some of the domestic life and life going forward but also there were times when I did allow myself to just go into my pain and it was actually I spoke to a grief therapist and she said um do give yourself time sometimes to just look at all Nell's photographs for example or look at her on you know the weird thing about social media is you can mm-hmm go and I could go and look at lots of clips of her a few weeks before and there she was talking excited about something she was doing and it is 
I mean, and there was there was something on the radio about her after she died, and we were in the kitchen, and I didn't know it was going to be on actually, and then suddenly there was her voice on the radio, oh, somebody mm-hmm. talking about her, and then there was her voice, and it was really strange. The feeling of it was, you know, hearing somebody's voice and looking at um, recordings of them does bring them to you in a really vivid way and I think it's really interesting how it may change and actually intensify the way we grieve possibly because it is like really 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 painful to look at somebody's social media after they've died when they were you know optimistic or just living their life in the way that many of us present our lives on social media and then for them to be gone and there's a kind of disparity between like which you feel anyway when somebody dies of like where are you where have you gone you know this huge person this huge personality this hugely important person in my life where on earth are you and so sometimes allowing myself some time to kind of just go and be present to her photographs and look at her social media and kind of wallow in it in some way you know mm-hmm. to like allow yourself to cry allow yourself to be there but then you can also just say okay I'm not going to look at any photos for a bit because I had to do that I actually mm-hmm. and my dad said for a bit he had to take her picture off his phone because it was just it's too painful it's too mm-hmm. too difficult so so kind of being careful with yourself in some way or another is a way around that I think you know I did find having a lot of photographs of her around really really quite difficult to start Mm. with Um, and creating spaces in which you can go and be present to your grief but also then you know the fact of having to look after the children or work or whatever is also useful because it does like naturally you know there's a natural forward momentum Mm -hmm. which is life rolling forward and that's like one of the things that is so strange about death is that you lose the person that you think you couldn't imagine life without and then life just rolls on life just rolls on into the future and the future becomes the present and that is a very hard thing at times you know and it's famously hard that's why Auden wrote that incredible poem about stop all the clocks because you want the whole world to be to be present to what you are feeling and to the loss of this person but it doesn't of course it doesn't and that's right and you have to you know the that forward momentum of time will take you forward as well mm-hmm. can we talk about that for a second actually could we talk about the act of writing mm. um you wrote this book you as you were saying started in 2020 um it's set over lockdown you wrote a lot of it over lockdown mm. when you had ch- many children at home mm. um your husband travels a lot for work so he wasn't always there as well mm. and obviously you were living through this um this you know the immensity of of the loss of your sister as well so logistically um talk us through how you you managed that as well <laughs> I know it's it's one of those things that's and I'm sure that I'm sure you've got this penny as well and and um you know where you just think how did I manage that? how did I do that how did I actually you know practically get that written and do that but um I would get up so when lockdown happened, I was I hadn't really started. I totally hadn't started writing it when it when the first lockdown happened, but I was kind of thinking about it. And then during you know that month, uh, the, the months of twenty twenty, I'm actually really really indebted to my elder children who are two, um, eighteen and twenty one because they, my son came back from university and my daughter was here and they did like valiant amounts of looking after the kids in the afternoon so that I could focus and I am a very focused writer I mean I can waste a hell of a lot of time on 
on social media or avoiding doing admin and stuff like that. But when I actually have to work, I can write pretty fast. And um, I used, they would, you know, they would sort of have the kids for a couple of hours in the afternoon, but then I'd also get up in the early morning and I actually really like that time I don't like getting out of bed early I'm not like a natural jump out of bed early but if I know that there is no other time that I can work in then Mm -hmm. I will get up a bit before six maybe and there's nothing like knowing that some small children are going to come downstairs at seven or even half seven if I was lucky to kind of focus your mind and get stuff done so um there was there was that time but it was very strange as well because I was writing about death and grief and at the same time that the whole world was suddenly thinking about death and grief as well Mm. and um I write a bit about the the pandemic I didn't I totally didn't want it to be like a pandemic memoir and it's not but I couldn't write about what we're all going through without kind of acknowledging it in some way or another so there are elements of the pandemic and the strangeness of us all being I mean I think it really I think the pandemic did also bring into relief different people's experiences of life really yes. and and, mm. and and our different privileges as well and what we have and what we don't have and people who were really struggling with the pandemic but had quite good you know so-called easy circumstances um you know and I write about this my kind of jealousy I suppose and my my sometimes my feelings towards people who have been who haven't yet been through this who haven't yet lost somebody they love and there was this girl who was complaining bitterly about the pandemic and and she lived in the country and I just thought it's not that bad I mean you know there are people with who are for whom this is so much worse you have to you have to kind of get on with it in some way or another um so yeah I was I was I was interested by that but I think focus like as a writer as a writer who's a parent as well but even if you're not a parent I mean we all have many demands on us don't we so Mm -hmm. like learning you might be writing a book whilst holding down a full-time job at the same time and and learning how to kind of um focus on the writing and go into the space quickly and not be afraid of that terrifying place which is the blank page and like what the hell am I going to write today which I get all the time but like putting words down quickly is I think really really important creatively yeah yeah I think that the quick writing is is such a good trick in a way that um you're like okay I've only got an hour I've just got to sit down and work and what I find is I sit down and work and all I lose afterwards is the first paragraph which is an absolute load of crap and I can just cut that off afterwards I just have to kind of write my way in and then I'm there and then it's okay. I think in some ways we, it's almost like we sometimes um, provide too many emotional barriers to ourselves to sit down and do the work when actually all we literally have to do is sit down and start working. Sometimes. And force it, you know, just force it, put the phone, I think the phone is the hardest thing because as soon as you feel nervous or worried about your writing, you pick up the phone as a distraction and look at, you know, anything. And and that continually breaks you. And I am very guilty of that. I do that all the time. But I'm trying to put the phone away and do that fast writing. Yeah. And as you said, I think it's so interesting, the idea that you only lose, the, the, you only, you know, the first bit might be a bit rubbish, but there will be some something in there that you can work with, definitely. There mm. will definitely be stuff in there that you can <laughs> move forward with. And I suppose that's how we, you know, that's how you get through the process of writing a book, which is, 
90,000, you know, it's a lot of words. <laughs> You've got to write a lot of words to get there. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. Um, and so... Um, uh, with your um, with projects going forward, mm. do you do you know what you're working on next, or do you tend to, like you did with this one, stop what you're working on before because something very acute happened that you knew you needed to do immediately? Um, so, do you are you a planner, or are you a little bit more by the seat of your pants? Um, well, with memoir, so I, I'm now writing my fourth memoir. I don't really like calling them memoir particularly, actually, because they are books about life. The bit, what I'm writing now is about stuff that has happened to me, but it's also stuff that's happening to me. It's my feelings and thoughts about stuff that is totally ongoing. But when you write memoir, you have to write, you don't have to have written the whole book. You just have to write a, you know, I think about 10, 10, 15,000 word synopsis and a proposal and that process of like learning or applying yourself to what the next thing is going to be about and doing a breakdown of the chapter so I usually do about a kind of 2,000 3,000 word um yeah synopsis of the next book and then and then a chapter breakdown and the chapters tend to get more and more sketchy in the breakdown as I go through the I've usually got like a really strong idea to begin with then then the, okay then I'm not quite sure so when I wrote the proposal for the red of my blood I didn't know what was going to happen I didn't know where I was going to get to but I could talk to my my editor and say look I know you know I've got a sense that, that something interesting will be happening and I would like to write about some elements of that so I have to plan base you have to plan and I think um I'm grateful that I don't write fiction because the idea of writing an entire book uh, and, you know, just from a sort of commercial point of view, like trying to sell, having to write an entire book, not knowing whether that's actually going to be picked up by a publisher or not is really difficult. But that process of writing a nonfiction proposal is really, really helpful. So you do have a set, you totally have to know, you know, you can't just say, oh, I vaguely want to write a book about grief you know so did loads of people well how how are you going to write that book what the chapter is going to be about what's and why are you the right person to write it and how you know what's going to take you through so that that kind of planning is really is really really important and what I'm writing now I mean I've started another non-fiction book because um it's it's sort of linked to something that I was writing I mean it's linked to a major preoccupation that I've had throughout my whole life and um a, a kind of anxiety neuroses one of these things that lives inside me and which drives me so I've kind of taken that the kernel of that emotional response to parts of my life and I have um put a kind of narrative around it as a way of exploring it um and so I do know I do know what exactly what I'm writing I've got to write it between now and next March but I don't know where it's really where the book is really going to go and that is like that's the amazing and beautiful and exciting thing called creativity and I just absolutely feel so lucky to to be in a you know at the moment in a place where I can take an idea like that take a kind of emotional response and then really really examine it and examine my reactions to it and hope that those kind of resonate with other people but I tell you know I use I actually use Instagram as a way of really really talking to people as well and and talking to people about stuff that they are interested in because obviously you are writing for 
I can write a diary, but I want to be read as well. I want to be published. I want to communicate with people. I want to have relationships with people through the page. And that that audience is really, really, you know, it's really important to me. Mm. And so I want to write something which which you cannot write you cannot write for the audience saying oh maybe people will like that this that or the other maybe people will buy this book that doesn't work it has to well for me it doesn't it has to be the thing that's driving you but there are ways of kind of testing the water a bit yeah and seeing Uh, if it's I so agree with that about social media and I love your Instagram and I've always really enjoyed it and I have found Instagram a really similar kind of space Mm. in the past it's something about this idea of being able to talk to people and just see immediately what's what's really capturing them and what like if your preoccupations also preoccupy other people as well. Yeah, totally. Um, it's such a wonderful place to test out ideas. My book would not have existed if I hadn't had Instagram, I don't think, because of the uh, really incredible conversations that came out and the things that really that my thoughts I was having that like you say could have been in a private diary Mm. and I was putting some of those thoughts out there and Mm. realizing that oh wow a lot of people Mm. feel quite similar about something um and there's something about that space to kind of play Mm. with these ideas in a way that um that is a really interesting creative exercise yeah definitely I think it's really really useful and I don't know any other I mean it's like in a way it's a bit like going on a on a continual writing retreat isn't it? <laughs> with, the, with, the, with you know potentially like an unlimited if you want to make it that way audience of readers who can give you feedback because it is actually I haven't really thought of it exactly like this before but you can when people say to me well I want to be a writer or I've got an idea I often say do some writing on Instagram you can say a lot on those posts mm-hmm. I would love to know how long an Instagram post is actually I don't know how many words it is but it, it's a very good practice <laughs> mm. to keep everything really succinct it's not like yeah. a newsletter you can't just go on and on it's not like a blog post it's no. um you know it's you have to be really succinct in what you and how mm. you you mm. say it as well so I think it's actually not terrible training as well no, <laughs> to kind I of get very succinct yeah and I think that that thing of um you know, other things, sometimes people have asked me, well, how do you come up with ideas? How do you turn an idea into a, you know, how do you know a small idea but can become something bigger? But I think that thing of recording the fragments, the kind of crumbs of our ideas is really, really valuable. And I can turn, you know, like a sentence in, that. that's a sentence is an idea that you could write a whole book about. Every book mm-hmm. has got to have some kind of strap line anyway, hasn't it? You've got to know in one sentence what your book is about. And in a way you can use that same idea to a whole chapter. So I think recording and writing down in any way, whether it's on your phone, in a notebook, on the back of your hand, anything, record your ideas as you're happening, as they're, you know, as you're mm-hmm. having them. And yes, I totally agree that I think Instagram is a very, very good way of um, of communicating, of of sharing ideas, of seeing if if stuff resonate if resonates if people are interested in it. And that can be like a trigger to then say, okay, well, yeah, that's you know that's people have enjoyed that, they've really responded to that, and I've enjoyed writing that, so I'm going to go mm. further down that route. And it's wonderful as well having being able to communicate with people about creativity and about ideas and about our emotional lives. I think it's a, you know, it's an incredible, it's an incredible resource really that we have creatively. I think people shouldn't think, Oh, Instagram is just, 
you know, sometimes it gets incredibly bad press, but I think it can be a really, really useful place creatively. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just a tool. I think sometimes mm. we kind of moralize it and, um, and, you know, give it all these attributes, which is, it sort of really depends on how you use it. Yeah. Um, it can be useful. It can be damaging. It can be wonderful. It can be all, it can be all the things. It's yeah. just a tool. And I think we just have to make sure we don't, um, I guess, you know, give it too much weight, but use it for what it's good for. Mm. Um, and I think connecting with others is a really great thing that it's useful for. Yeah. Um, but even like, um, you know, during the lockdowns, uh, you started doing um, Instagram lives with other authors. And that felt so, I guess, really radical, actually, in the very beginning of if lockdown, which now, of course, we're really used to. Yeah. Um, but it's just wonderful. You know, literary conversations mm. used to be much more inaccessible. Mm. You know, I used to drive five or six hours to go to Hay <laughs> every year and, you know, um, camp and spend lots of money and have the most incredible experiences and um, be privy to these amazing conversations and wonderful ideas. And, you know, in, you know, 10 years ago, the, that was the only way of doing mm. it was to go to these big literary festivals. And now um, we we have access to that. And um, and we have, there's so many people sharing and promoting mm. each other's work. And mm. in a way, social media is, we're, we're very lucky now to have that in a way. Yeah, I think it's a really brilliant thing that's happened. And it means that there are all these great conversations and resources that you can be part of or contribute to or listen to access completely for free and that is such a good thing it may you know taking that kind of exclusivity and also the way that we can promote ourselves you know our writing I suppose in a way we're not in the past you might have been dependent on like somehow getting your book to an editor or you know or knowing somebody who might have written for a newspaper where they might write about your book or I just love the fact it's all there the forum is all there for free and when I started doing the lives like because the second book my world and was like came out and then the pandemic happened like pretty much straight away and um it was gutting I mean I mean life was totally gutting for so many people for me as a writer seeing all my literary events and literary festivals being cancelled and watching all my friends who are writers and writers I admire people I don't know but people who I follow like their work just seeing everything being cancelled was so sad and it was a way that I could kind of support other people and be part of a literary conversation and enable these you know, make little home events. And I love the fact that in the past, I would have, I didn't like doing like stuff to camera at all. And I felt really nervous about it and embarrassed by it. And I love the fact that actually, I just, when the pandemic started, I just thought, oh, you know, fuck it, I'm just going to start talking to camera and start communicating with people, because that's what I want to do. And that's what I really like doing. And you didn't need to have like, a producer or sound engineer or somebody doing graphics or anything like that. I love the fact that there was, we were all suddenly on each other's screens with messy hair and maybe kids walking in or, you know, dodgy connections or whatever. But there was like a willingness to talk. We wanted to talk to each other, didn't we? And, um, mm. and yeah, in the start of the pandemic, I was doing it twice a week, actually. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I've carried on, I've carried on doing it every, usually every Friday, just having a conversation with a different writer who's, you know, whose whose work I like. And um it's nice, isn't it? The willingness, the desire as human beings to be part of something, even at that strange stage when we're all locked away from each other, the strong desire to be part of something communal and shared is a beautiful thing. 
Well, I think that's yeah. And as somebody who um, brought out a book in the middle of the pandemic, I very much appreciated anyone who was willing to help because it was a very sad time to bring out a book. Really hard, yeah. I was going to say, I think that's like one of the beauties as well. What you sum up, this kind of communal um, partaking that suddenly everybody could do over lockdown and that technology allowed us to do, um, really to me, kind of is what memoir is is that you've got this like little portable unit that has your experience and then your experience somehow becomes translated into being someone else's and so it becomes something that becomes a shared experience. Um, at what stage do you know when you're writing um, ideas or when you're writing things down that you think, right, this is it, this, this could be a book, this is more than a jotting or this is more than a diary entry? It's um, it's a really good question, but it's more. It's 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 the things that I write about are the things that I've been living with my whole life in a way, and obviously Nell's death wasn't that, but um, the the kind of the it's it's not so much that you think oh there's a book that I could write about this as this is something that I. That is an I have an overriding need to communicate about this in some way or another. And Nell's death was um, it was also about wanting to write about loss and what loss does to mm-hmm. us. And I have had a lot of loss in my life, and I've had a quite a strange. Mum had this terrible accident when I was sixteen, which left her permanently brain damaged. So I was for twenty two years until she died, and in two thousand and thirteen. So I sort of grow, you know, from adolescence, I'd carried a, some kind of traumatic experience, and I and part of the book, part of the red of my blood, is definitely about trying to face and understand this feeling that loss is around us all the time, and that kind of death is around us all the time, and that we should open our eyes to that it is scary but it is also life it's fundamentally the way that we are living it's the you know it's this invisible thing that's around us the whole time um and with this new idea that I'm writing about it's something that I've been preoccupied with since I was a child really and so um it's more that a kind of this idea gets gains a a momentum I suppose and there's a feeling of um you know like a snowball starting out as a little tiny bit of snow and then rolling and rolling and becoming bigger and and creativity works for me that when I have an idea that I think when I have an idea and then when I start seeing it in everything that I'm doing when, when it starts becoming the you know the way that I look at the world the prism through which I look at the world then I start I mean, this is what's happened with the previous three books. That's that's when I start thinking, okay, this is this is the next, you know, the next thing that I'm that I'm going into. It becomes, and it's not that those influences and those elements of life were not there before, but it's because something has happened in my consciousness and my creative brain that means I am able to kind of access them and pull them out of the rest of my life. If if that makes sense, it's not. So, um, so you know, when I wrote the book about mother- motherhood, I I had been a mother for like twenty years. I could have written a book about motherhood before then, but it was like an overriding feeling of um, mm-hmm. this is what I'm interested in. This is what I want to communicate about. This is what I'm thinking about incredibly strongly, and it's like you kind of immerse yourself totally. Your brain 
creatively is the inside of my brain is like coated in thoughts about that particular idea and then I read really widely as well and I I talk on my Instagram sometimes I do like little writing tips and I was talking about reading really widely around an idea so the motherhood book actually started as I wanted to write a book about like wildflowers and the mythology and kind of um, literature and language of wildflowers well it that turned into something very different that turned into my world and sleepless nights which is a incredibly confessional book about being a mother and um marriage and sex and all the mistakes and everything that goes you know that happens around motherhood and but those ideas that I had around wildflowers for me and there are a few little flower references in the book but they totally informed something creatively in a way of sort of looking at the how delicate and fragile and beautiful um life was and I think so I wasn't so so when I started writing the motherhood book I didn't I bought a few books about mother about motherhood uh I couldn't find that many books which kind of got into motherhood in the way that I wanted mm-hmm. to read about it um and then cast my net a bit wider and I think that kind of wide reading is really really mm-hmm. important so that you open up your conscious creative mind to Mm -hmm. to to kind of different sources and I always when people say well you know what's your writing process also I think like reading fiction reading poetry reading non-fiction looking up stuff online you know feed it when you when you Um, when you've got an idea feed it from um, you know from as yeah as many different sources as you can I think that's that to me has been important anyway. I love this though, because you keep saying, you're saying you you read about motherhood, but there wasn't the book that you wanted to read. And then earlier you said you read about grief, but there wasn't the book that you wanted to read. So do you feel that you're very much writing the books that you want to read? Yeah, I mean, I worry that that sounds kind of arrogant in some way mm. or another, but I, I do feel that. I do feel that when I wrote My World and Sleepless Nights, I'd had my fifth child. My first child had just been expelled and I had like the police turning up and I was holding a newborn baby. And and I and I was trying to work out what the hell is this thing that I've been doing for like 20 years called motherhood and why is it so difficult? Why do I still, you know, fifth child, why do I still feel as though I've been like completely turned inside out? And um, I desperately wanted to, wanted to read about it. And I remember talking to people on Instagram like, actually messaging complete strangers saying I'm feeling really weird and quite violent and and slightly deranged and very unhappy do you feel like this as well and this woman sent me this really nice message back saying well yeah I do I don't like to admit it but yes I do and I wanted to I wanted to read about that and when Jimmy my eldest who was causing me so much um heartache and difficulty at the time that that uh my fifth child was born and he is Jimmy is an absolutely wonderful and amazing person he was a very naughty teenager um I couldn't find another book that kind of got into the how how dark and light how difficult and beautiful and sort of spiritually nourishing at the same time motherhood could be and there was mm-hmm. Rachel Cusk's book A Life's Work which had come out when he was a baby actually but that was just about having a baby or having up to a two-year-old and where Mm -hmm. was the book about what it actually felt like to be a mother not like oh how to deal with your teenager who doesn't talk to you or how to get your baby to go to sleep 
but like this kind of insane torrent of feelings that is going on inside me at the moment where is the book that actually describes this and tries to make some kind of sense of it and that was definitely what motivated me with that second book and definitely with this third book as well I'd read the year of magical thinking you know I I knew that book really really well I'd read various other books on grief but there wasn't anything that was like right in the immediacy and that really got for me like in a kind of unflinching way right to the heart of the matter about what Mm. grief felt like and how to survive it and how to make sense of it in some way and that was definitely one of the one of the motivating factors for writing it. Mm. That's so interesting because um, somebody the other day on my Instagram asked me, somebody uh, you know who I don't know personally said, oh, please, please, can you tell me about any motherhood books that are not about having babies and young children? And I was like, you have to read my Wild and Sleepless Nights. <laughs> he oh, was like, oh, thank strange. God, there's one out there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it's funny that, yeah, there are those books about, you know, about a sort of how to or by psychologists about yeah. how to parent but not the kind of creative look yeah. at it analysis of it take on it um although there are more there are i think in the last couple of years there have been there have been other but more you know there's been it's been it's been wonderful how actually motherhood suddenly has become more of a subject for yeah. um you know interesting entertaining um beautiful writing I love that fact Mm, yeah and actually um on the the grief front as well did you ever read and when did when did you last see your father no by Blake Morrison because I think I I wonder if you might find that really interesting because um I heard him speak recently and I hadn't realized that the sections it's it's split between his childhood and when his father's dying goes back and forth and um and he wrote the parts when his father was dying in real time uh, which I hadn't realized when I wrote it but after I heard that it makes total sense yeah. um and it's really it's the one of the only other books about grief other than yours that I've read that uh is sort of goes into a lot of the physicality physicality of both the dying mm. as well as his experience of grief mm. um but yeah, it was just interesting when I heard him say that he actually wrote it in real time and I suddenly was like, oh, that actually makes quite a lot of sense. Yeah. And probably potentially why books about loss don't always have that same visceral mm. sort of feeling because a lot of times they're written quite a quite long, long time after. Yeah, I think I think the recording of it when it's when it's happening is really important. And obviously it has to then be shaped and edited and and Mm, turned into something but that fact of actually what does this actually feel like this feeling where you're walking around the house as though you know after mum died I remember this feeling of like as though the floor was all unstable you know everything becomes unstable as well Um, what does that actually feel like so if you can write as close to the experience and if there's anybody listening to this I suppose who you know has an idea about memoir or life writing in some way or another is like taking yourself into it and recording recording what's happening to you while it's happening I think is a really valuable thing to do I think you're completely right I have a lot of notebooks but weirdly also I have Instagram from so I 
I also have lost my mom. She's not dead, but she is lost to me, um, which I deal with a lot in my book towards the end of it. But Instagram actually was that thing of of helping because there's that record that's there. That's it can just be very brief, but you can see a photo and you can suddenly go, "That's what I felt right in that moment," and you can yeah. suddenly realize that you've got that. But I was listening to the live that you did um, with Lily Dunn. Uh, a couple of weeks ago I think it was around about the storm I think you probably had the kids at home I had my kids at home a million things and I had my phone (laughs) propped up in the kitchen so that I could listen to you and I think it was you it was it was you who said it and I it stuck with me because I thought it was such a kind of astute observation that you said that you would that you in many ways are always writing about your mum even when you're not writing about her, that there's always this kind of coming back to the same thing. And I realized, and it ties back into what you were saying about preoccupations that I think, you know, I'm on to writing the second book now. And again, I'm still writing about my mom and I'm trying very hard not to, I don't want to, but I feel that there's this (laughs) thing I'm still working away at. And I wonder if we keep writing the same thing in a different form until we solve it I wonder if we ever do solve it I don't know what you think I don't know I think it's kind of well if there is some major preoccupation some major thing that's happened to you some major loss it's often you know generally around loss let's face it people don't say I just want to write endlessly about how happy I am (laughs) about something or other. You know, it's always about our pain that we want to write about, isn't it? That I, I don't think that we do solve it just in the same way that we don't solve grief. I mean, Mm. I'm talking from my own experience, I suppose. And I don't think that there is anything wrong at all in saying, I mean, I've recently said to myself, it's okay if you go on writing about mum in some way or another and what happened to you as an adolescent, what happened to the loss of her, the loss of home, if that is kind of shaping and shading and characterising your work in some way or another, that's okay as well. Don't, you know, don't worry about that, I don't think. If it is preoccupying you so much um, that it is feeding into your creativity, that isn't about you know it is not a bad thing and I don't Mm -hmm. think that there will be I mean it's interesting the idea about whether it's solved I don't think loss is ever Mm -hmm. solved really is it our lives grow around losses so the rest of our life becomes bigger so now the loss of Nell was like the entire room for a long time and now the room has got bigger and her big loss is still there Mm -hmm. but the room that I'm living in has got bigger as well and um but I think that I think to go on trying to figure something out and to go on kind of examining something and giving it that serious, you know, that sort of, I write about this in the book. It was very serious. I write about, um, there's one bit when I write about Philip Petit, the man who, um, man on wire, the guy who, who, who walked between the twin towers and that in that documentary, he's obviously an extraordinary man, but he's very incredibly serious about what his, his act, this act of, you know, it's, it's very, um, daring what he does, but like creatively, he is doing something very, very important, making statements about being a human being too, too. And his, um, I was, felt kind of inspired by the seriousness with which he applied himself to it all and to the people the people around him did as well and I think that there's something 
beautiful about that. And it's also a relief because I definitely used to think, how can this loss of my mum, how can it be with me all the time? Like maybe when am I going to start writing comic novels or something like that? <laughs> it's okay. I don't think I am ever going to write comic novels. And that's that's okay as well, you know. That's totally okay. It's more than okay. And, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose it's also being alive to those things that are. The fact that one can, you know, you are thinking about, the loss of your mum, Ali, in some way, and the way it changes your life, and being alive to it, and alive to your feelings, and alive to the way that it is, you know, and alert is probably a better word to the way it, you know, is changing you and um, changing the life around you, is is a good thing. It's kind of it is also giving it space and honouring it. I think the thing of honoring our feelings is so important to really Mm. really hearing because so much of the time so many people and so many all of us can be what we're talking about trying to kind of take the edge off dull things whereas going Mm -hmm. going right into the place of pain or loss or confusion or you know trying to trying to understand something is courageous as well and maybe it is a maybe it is a life's work I think that's Mm. That's that's quite a good way of looking at it, really. And did you find that writing the book, while you were writing it, did you feel that you were still with Nell in a way that you don't feel you are now? You finished it. I wonder how that worked. Yeah, that's really interesting. I did really. What I really loved was the when I was writing it, I felt as though I was kind of re turning I was returning to Nell and I were returning to one another as as adolescents and as younger women I suppose because the last few years of Nell's life her own work had become very very preoccupying and she had been ill as well which was obviously massively preoccupying but it does start to take it kind of characterizes the whole relationship I suppose and I did have this feeling of returning to a place of of kind of the place where we were in in a place of greater exploration together and I love the feeling of kind of reconnecting with her in a really 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 strong way to where we'd been before there was cancer in a way and before I mean her work really did did kind of take up her her whole life and sometimes it was quite difficult to get to her through through her work actually Mm. um and I love that sense of being together in 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 my computer almost in my head on my page I absolutely love that and I don't think I feel less um attached or connected with her now that the book is finished I think um I think having written it, it's taken me, it's, it has it's connected us in some way. And it has, I'm, I'm very interested by whether we can continue having a relation, whether you, how and why and in what form you can go on having a relationship with somebody after they mm. have died. And in a way, that's also that kind of life quest, life's work mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense, isn't it? And um, so I feel, I feel very alive to, I like Instagram as a, again, as a way of sort of, honoring her and it's been really wonderful because people have said to me I didn't know who Nell was or anything about her but through your Instagram I feel like I know her really well and I've got lots of lovely pictures of us like when we were kids and when we were young people because my dad took loads of pictures so it's been really lovely kind of putting her 
on there as well. And it does feel like a way of remaining close to her. And it becomes more and more celebratory, perhaps, you know, more and more joyful, perhaps. Um, and so, no, I still do feel close to her. But I think the book was useful as a way of becoming incredibly close to her mm-hmm. in that kind of green, grieving mourning period to allow myself to be like with her while I was working, because she was certainly with me the whole time that I was like going about my normal life. But being allowed to be literally with her in my writing and on the page was also, I mean, it was pain. It was incredibly painful, but it was incredibly mm-hmm. beautiful as well. And um, I also feel as though she would, Nell was like a major, Nell was like a major diva. So I think she'd really like, <laughs> she'd really like it that there's a book which is sort of, I mean, it's, it's sort of about her, but it's also about me. I mean, it's about, it's not like a memoir about this is what we were like, you know, it's not a, a kind of, anybody who picks up thinking, oh, I'm going to find out exactly what Nell was like. It's, she's not really in the book in that way, but us as sisters are there. Mm. She would love to be kind of, on my Instagram. She'd love to have people talking about her. I know that absolutely for a fact. um, Well, this has just been so, so wonderful um, to chat with you about, about the book. Um, uh, What have you been reading lately that you found interesting? Yeah. So I have been reading Shuggy Bane, which, which um, is obviously the writing is really, really extraordinary. And I've really been, immersed in that actually been reading that in the evenings but I've also been reading a book talking about reading around widely around topics my dad gave me a book called the stone mason mason which is by Andrew Zeminski and it's about ancient England and the kind of forming of ancient England and um I've been really he's a really he is a stonemason and he writes about like Stonehenge and Avery and how these places were created and I highly recommend it it was I think it was a Sunday Times bestseller it did it you know it 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 was critically acclaimed definitely um but I love reading I actually really love reading non-fiction non-fiction is the thing that I reach for most often I suppose and I have loved reading this story of this man writing about his craft as a stonemason and how that applies to the craft of thousands of people across time as well. Mm. Um, so that has been, yeah, the thing that I've been most immersed in in the in the recent past and Shaggy Bain. Mm. Ali, what about you? Have you had a chance to read um, recently? Yeah, I, Clover, I love the sound of that book, The Stonemason. I love nonfiction as well. It sounds brilliant. And I love Shaggy too. I have been reading. I, quite strangely enough, just last week, finished reading uh, the memoir Devil in a Coma by Mark Lanigan. And then, of course, Mark Lanigan died last week. So it was it was one of those really odd timings. Um, it's a brilliant book. It's very short. I would recommend anyone who is a fan of his work, but not just anyone who's a fan of his work. It's about when he had COVID. Um, and it really takes you inside the lunacy that you experience when you've got COVID or when you're very ill. It's, yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant book. I thoroughly recommend it. It's out um, on White Rabbit Books and White Rabbit are just releasing some great stuff at the moment as well. So yeah, it's a short read and I think probably going back to it in light of his death would probably be quite difficult as well. It's a very 
in in many ways it becomes quite a hopeful book about surviving covid and surviving everything that he'd survived for so long and then suddenly it, it kind of is read with a sort of different lens i suppose but mm. yeah really good book i really recommend it how what about you reading penny I, well, I mentioned earlier, I just finished um, Brene Brown's oh, new yeah. book, Atlas of the Heart, and I would really recommend it to everybody, actually. It's um, it's such an interesting idea. She's basically written um, about the language of emotions. So she's just explaining what all of the emotions are and what they mean. Wow. Um, and it's, it's actually really incredible, and I would definitely recommend it to writers. It's really, um, it's a really fantastic resource, and I listen, I always listen to her books because she is an amazing storyteller, and her audiobooks are fabulous. She does little asides, especially for the audio listeners, uh, where she sort of maybe adds in an extra story to explain what she wants to explain. She describes any kind of pictures or graphs in the book, um yeah it's really she's really wonderful to listen to um but um but yeah it's incredible you know like even just things like you know when she was describing grief she talked about acute grief integrated grief and complex grief and really separating them out and like when does acute grief become complex grief mm. when does it be, you know and um and it's just it's just so quite incredible to read a book that digs down into the real nitty-gritty of how we talk about emotions mm. um and her theory behind it and why and a lot of her work is that if we can um understand the language around emotions if we can we can learn to better articulate our needs to other people um and where we get better at asking about other people's needs as well um but yeah it's really incredible actually and sort of kind of crosses across a lot of her work in the past in the sense that it touches on lots of different Oh, well, all all the emotions. It touches on all the emotions. Mm, interesting. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Oh well, thank you so much, Clover. It's just been such a pleasure to to talk about this. And the book is just it's so beautiful. And it's such a privilege to be allowed into that year with you and to sit with you and really sort of, as you say, kind of the way you describe the physicality of it and and the emotions of it. And to um, you know, the way that you let us into your relationship with Nell, it's just, it's such a privilege and a joy to read. I know that sounds strange, a joy to read, but it really was a joy, even though there's so much loss in there. Um, and yeah, it's just incredible. So thank you so much. It's been a complete pleasure. And I'm really happy to hear that you, what you say about it, because I really wanted it to be a book about life, just mm. as much as death and about living in a, in a vivid way. So um, I'm really happy about that. And it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you very, very much indeed. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can buy all the books recommended on the podcast at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash not too busy to write, where a portion of each sale goes to support independent bookshops around the country. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow. And please leave a review. It really helps others to find the podcast.